You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our Sex Podcast Collective, visit PleasurePodcasts.com. Welcome to American Sex, the award-winning podcast dedicated to challenging those puritanical, backward-ass ideals that we have in the U.S. I'm Sunny Megatron, and my co-host is Ken Melvoin-Berg. We're sexuality educators, pleasure advocates, and ridiculous, sadistic kinksters. We're also non-monogamously married to each other. So strap in or strap one on. In this house, your pleasure is power. Your kink is customizable. And your subversive perversions are revolutionary. Welcome, my friends, to episode 207 of American Sex. I'm your host, Sunny Megatron, a clinical sexologist, sex and kink educator, and host of Showtime Sex with Sunny Megatron. And on this episode, frequent guest Kitty Stryker is back. Now, if you've heard some of our other episodes, they're amazing. We've talked all about the nuances of human interaction in many shapes and forms, power dynamics and kink and negotiations and manipulation and all sorts of stuff. This time, we're talking about consent, but not so much consent with others. Well, I mean, not at first. It, it, it leads to that. But the first most important foundation is talking with yourself about consent. So y'all know by now you're listening to a sex podcast, right? And here we are very heavy on topics that have to do with kink and alternate sexualities and relationships, etc. And often when we think of consent in this context, it's, you know, with partners or having something to do with relationships or sex. And it's the same with the way consent is often regarded in the mainstream. I mean, go back just a short amount of time in our recent history, and we never talked about consent at all. It seems like over the last decade or so, consent education has hit the mainstream. It's become a mainstay on college campuses, even outside of sex weeks, right? Sex education that we see on social media, we hear about consent and and the principles of consent and the plots of TV shows even. And a lot of us know Planned Parenthood's consent model called FRIES. You know, consent is F, freely given, R, reversible, you know, informed, enthusiastic, specific, etc. And then a few years back, we had Me Too that really thrust everything into the mainstream. Consent seems to be everywhere. But with the mainstreaming of these crucial concepts, uh, they got boiled down to sound bites and simplified, sensational little clips. And that's kind of the rub, you know, in order for uh, something to be accepted in pop culture, often it's got to be delivered in these cute little sound bites so it catches on. Kitty uses a expression called definition creep. And that's what seemed to happen with consent and concepts around consent. It's become this very black and white yes or no, like just say no, say yes, get verbal consent. Oh, awesome. Oh, is it enthusiastic? Great. Mm, done. 
And consent became very attached to sex and relationships. With the fact of the matter, every single interaction we have with any human, from somebody in line at the coffee shop to our friends, our family, our partners, whether that's a serious thing, a casual thing, whatever, they all have consent situations. And those are nuanced consent situations that are interwoven into all of those interactions. And think about the societal messages that we're taught, you know, in business, they're like, Oh, keep just keep pushing. Don't don't let them tell you no, right? That's what makes a good entrepreneur. Uh, If you're when you're a toddler, you just keep asking mommy for the cookie. And she says, No, 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 no. And eventually you wear her down. And she's like, fine, the positive attributes that we associate with being ambitious, don't give up, never quit. Embrace that American dream. Pull yourself up by your bootstrap. Take the bull by the horns and make that success happen. No one's going to do it for you. That whole vibe has pushing boundaries as an admirable quality baked right into it. So in this conversation, Kitty and I discuss these disregarded nuances of consent and how that's the basis of her new book, her second book on consent. It's designed to take us back to basics and determine for ourselves what consent means in our own lives, the role it plays, et cetera, and with anyone and everyone. In this conversation, Kitty tells us how A nuanced understanding of consent helped her repair her lifelong strained relationship with her mother and how the the phrase or concept that she coined consent culture has been eroded by pretty much the world during the mainstreaming of consent concepts. And there are a lot of other things we touch on in this conversation too. And if you're not familiar with Kitty Stryker, Kitty is the author of the brand new book, Ask Yourself, the Consent Culture Workbook, and the editor of Ask Building Consent Culture, both from Thornapple Press. She was among the first to coin that term, consent culture, writing in 2010 about the radical act of defining what you want to move towards instead of just what to avoid. A queer nerd, an asexual sex worker, an anarchist journalist, Kitty is often found blurring the edges of communities to forge coalitions and welcome more people in. And also, she inspires to be Baba Yaga when she grows up. Before we get to this conversation, I am going to wash the balls so fast, your head's going to spin. There's the ball washing noise. And if you're like, what? Maybe maybe it's so fast your balls will spin. That's what we call housekeeping here on American Sex, because soaping up the twins is a lot more enjoyable than using tired old cleaning metaphors. So just a quick little thing, the general rundown, go to the show notes for links to all of Kitty's stuff, everything we talk about in this episode, our episode sponsors, plus in there, you will find the link to my free kink negotiation workbook, the link to our discord server, we'd love for you to join us, and a whole bunch more. And that's it. Are your balls spinning already? I am done. These balls are clean. Ta-da! Here is a conversation with Kitty Stryker on talking with yourself about consent. Kitty Stryker, you are back. 
again, which A, I'm completely stoked about. And I'm also completely stoked that like we get to have these awesome conversations over and over and over and over and over. Um, yeah, they're always me so too. good. Yeah. Well, and and I feel like it's it shifts a little bit every time. Like it, you can kind of see in real time my thoughts, how they change and how I'm like, oh, yeah, I've taken in new information and context and huh, interesting, which it's I think is good. really cool. Yeah, it's good. Like we all grow and like for people to see like the thought path is changing and growing and morphing and yeah, yeah it's it's good. So um, y- you have a a big thought that has just been birthed to the world, which is your second uh, book on consent tell us what's up with that Uh, first of all I love it I'm just gonna say that but we'll talk more about that you tell me about your book okay well it's a workbook um and it's called ask yourself the consent culture workbook um I put it together so this is the first one I have written myself I always like to say that because the first book was an anthology and I was pretty hands-off on the editing so this is like me when I'm hands on, I feel like I was much more um, particular and structured in how I put this together. Mm-hmm. So I feel it is a more solid work and like it makes more sense as a whole thread mm-hmm. in a way that maybe the first anthology could have used a little more reining in. I had never edited an anthology before. Um, And I don't think I was wrong in my desire to let people speak from their own voices, their own experience. But I think that I, if I had more skill, I would have known how to make it more cohesive. Mm -hmm. And instead, it's a little disjointed. I think that's fine. But I come from like zine culture. So, okay, you know, my my feelings are a little different. Um, But the workbook... um, I wrote it because I, well, first of all, there were other consent workbooks coming out. And I said, well, I should really have one. I coined this term. So, like, I should be involved in this. <laughs> like, um, And so that was definitely part of it. And I was, I was a little miffed that other people hadn't asked me to, like, even give a blurb for their books. Um, So I was like, you know what? I really need to put my foot down about like, I'm as far as I can tell, I coined this term with a couple of other people in 2010. And that's the term consent culture. And that's the term consent culture. And when we coined it, we had a very specific idea of what that meant. And it meant not only consent and like moving towards a culture of consent, but also like thinking about power dynamics, thinking about coercion. We, you and I have had talks about manipulation and like thinking about all the different ways that we push our own boundaries and our own consent and whether that is okay or not. Like I wanted to tackle those ideas as well, not just yes means yes, no means no, And as, like, the mainstream got a hold of consent culture, as universities got a hold of consent culture, they took out a lot of the nuance and they took out a lot of the teeth. So a lot of the, a lot of the stuff about, like, hey, racism, transphobia, ableism, these are parts of consent culture. Like, these are very important parts and aspects to this. That all kind of got stripped away. Um, And... 
I feel a little frustrated by that, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting how a concept goes out into society, right? People get a hold of mm-hmm. it. And, you know, and I think part of it is like, as more people start talking about whatever this concept is, well, consent culture in this case, right? So as more people start talking about it, understanding what it is, and that's a good thing. It's like, we see this boiling down. And I don't know if it's like, because so many people want to put it into short, concise sound bites that the nuance of it kind of falls away and it becomes something that it didn't start out being eventually because yeah. it was spread to everyone like it should have been, but it's like a blessing and a curse. Like more people need to know, but then they trash it. Uh, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I kind of. When you read the workbook's intro, I do kind of get into that a little bit. And it's kind it's kind of funny because one of the criticisms that I had seen about the first book was like, wow, Kitty's talking about how diverse the contributions are in this work in this uh, in the first anthology. Like she's really patting herself on the back f- about that. And I was like, well, that wasn't my intention. My intention was to say this was actually really easy to do. So why aren't you all doing it? Right. Like that was that was where I was coming from. But I can see why it looked like I'm such a good ally. Look at right, me go. Right. And I was thinking about that. This I saw that comment after I'd already submitted the the second book and I was like, "Do I do that in the intro?" And it's like, "No, but I do whine a little bit about like that sort of definition creep and how consent culture kind of became mainstream but also like was um toned down yeah until it was not really what we had envisioned in the first place um and you know what some people are gonna be like wow like kitty's acting like she's the only one who's ever done any of this stuff and you know what fine like i'm not gonna make everyone happy maybe i could have phrased these things more uh politically or uh i don't know more vaguely right and I didn't, and that's not who I am. I speak very honestly and vulnerably from my heart, and yeah, that's not for everybody. You know? Exactly, yeah. Um, so I, I do talk a little bit about that and about like how when I started consent culture, it was it was a criticism in some ways and a love letter to the BDSM community, mm-hmm. and. Um, how in that stripping away of consent culture's roots and that power dynamic conversation, it also was pulled away from the BDSM community. So a lot of times when people are talking about consent culture now, they think it started with the universities. They Ah. think it started at sex weeks. They don't know that it came from queer people talking about BDSM. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know... I mean, maybe I'm just feeling it because it's Pride Month. Um, but I feel like there's a real issue where people don't know their history or like don't care to know their history. And so mm-hmm. they have criticisms based off of that lack of understanding of the history. And right. you, I think you and I have talked about that as it pertains to like leather at Pride before. Mm-hmm. Um, I've written for Zipper about that, mm-hmm. actually. Um but yeah, I think that there is also that same kind of um, rewriting of history 
when it comes to conversations about consent culture that makes it a conversation that is happening with white straight feminists when that wasn't who influenced us and we made up the term. (laughs) Right, right. So I, you know, like some of it, some of it is a little bit of ego. I worked really hard on this. Mm -hmm. I dealt with a lot of flack and a lot of pushback. um, And I suffered to bring this to the world. And so I want a little bit of recognition that there's that and that's my ego. And like, I fight with myself all the time on whether or not that's important. It's more important that it be out there and that people be talking about it. But also, more important than that, more important than it being about me and my ego and my ownership of, you know, being a part of this, is that it is about power exchange. It is about power dynamics. It is about how when you enter a BDSM space, Racism is still a thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, queer phobia is still a thing. Fat phobia is still a thing. None of that goes away because you're in an alternative space. You have to consciously decide that that is something you are going to tackle within that community. And that was an area that I saw the BDSM world not really doing their due diligence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And so I wanted to say, why is that? And how can we, rather than shaming them and being like, you're all doing this bad, rapey stuff that ignores all of these problems, I wanted to be like, here's some things you could do instead that would be healthier and would be a way to let people feel more heard. Um, granted, I was I was still assumed to be a, a, sc- a scold, a nag. Anyway, because um, despite the fact that the BDSM community talks a lot about how great they are at consent, oh boy, did they not want to talk about this 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, and still don't in some some circles. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, all of that, all of that drama in history to say one of the other things that came from having the first book, the anthology, was people would come to me and say, you're an expert. Tell me how to handle this situation. And that made me really uncomfortable because I don't like the police. I don't like the prison industrial complex. I don't consider myself to be a judge or a jury. Um, And I didn't have the context for who these people were or what their community was like. Um, and so I felt like, ah, I don't want to be like, that's not my problem because it's a problem in society and therefore it's all of our problem, right? Mm-hmm. But like, also, I don't have enough information to be informed here in a way that's going to be useful to you. So I said, okay, I'm going to do a workbook so that I can say, I don't know, but here's a workbook. And by the time you're finished with this, you should be able to answer these questions yourself. I yes. hope. <laughs> yes. And so the goal, I have never, despite the fact that I'm like, yes, I was one of the people who coined this term, I have never considered myself a consult, uh, a consent expert. Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't like that idea because I don't think it's something anyone can be an expert on. Our understanding of consent is constantly morphing and constantly changing. And that's a good thing. That's as it should be. We should be continuing to take in more and more information and 
changing our mind and like opening in different ways and asking questions and remaining curious. Mm -hmm. So I felt really uncomfortable that people would come to me as if I was a guru or something who could like solve their issues or tell them a formula that if they followed that formula, they would never be harmed again. That's not possible. I wish I, I wish I had that, but like there's, The fact of the matter is you're very, very likely, almost 100% guaranteed, to cross somebody else's boundaries and have them crossed. Hopefully, hopefully in minor ways. Hopefully in, like, ways that are easier to talk about and easier to negotiate and to heal from. But, you know, like, that's a risk of being around people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So... I didn't want to be like making promises that I didn't think were true. You mm-hmm. know? No, um, I, I absolutely get it. Yeah. And I mean, and that's tough because honestly, I would have made a hell of a lot more money if I had <laughs> put myself out there as like, I'm a consent influencer and I know the answers. Yeah. You know, just join, join my seminar for $300 and I will teach you how to be perfect at consent. I would make a ton of money and I'd be a liar. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so. Oh, God. I just finished a conversation <laughs> on that same. It's like, you know, it's like, yeah, I could. But then I would like sell my soul and 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 <laughs> go against exactly what I'm trying to do. So it's, uh, um, yeah. So, you know, one thing I, I love over the last few years, and it's, you know, leading up to this, we've got like Me Too, and we hear about consent in the mainstream, on the news channels, in, you know, sitcoms and things like that. And I see us as a collective going from the very kind of cut and dry, you know, like Planned Parenthood Fry's acronym consent that has to only do with sex and dating situations Mm -hmm. or BDSM situations. And I, I feel like we as a large, like mainstream collective are just starting to go, Oh, hold the fucking phone. Like consent is everywhere, like every fucking where. And that's what I love about this book is that there are so many consent situations addressed here. So I would love to know from your perspective, as you've seen the, the mainstream consciousness and definition and understanding of consent unfold to where it is now, what have we gotten right so far about consent to lead us to the place like, oh, I need to have consent with my grandma when she's offering me cookies? Um, and what if we completely fucked up? So now we're at this point like, oh, my God, I can't accept cookies from my grandma without, you know, a, a, an argument. I don't know. Whatever. But uh, yeah, where, what's our state? What's the state of consent? I mean, I feel I feel like it's really great that people are having these conversations a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're starting to ask. Well, I feel like we're getting closer and closer to asking nuanced questions and like understanding about gray areas. And that, yes, they are scary. And also they're most of the interactions that we have. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that as people become more comfortable with owning that and not being as defensive. Um, 
we will be better able to handle it when somebody says, hey, you stepped on my foot. It's easier for us to say, oh, no, I didn't want to do. I didn't mean to do that. How can I help? What can I do? Um, you know, I, I do see like celebrities putting out better apologies than they have put out yeah. before. Some, um, some, 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 <laughs> some of them. Um, and I mean, some of that is probably informed like PR people. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, making decisions for them. Um, but I don't see a lot of like follow through outside of the apology. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, I think an apology is great. Um, but the real work is like in how you interact with people from then on. Yeah. <laughs> Um, which is hard to see when it comes to someone like a celebrity because we don't know them. Um, so I think sometimes, oh, this is going to be one of those controversial statements. I uh, love those. I a love kid- those. A kitty exclusive now that I've been kicked <laughs> off of Twitter. Um, but like, I think that some of the desire people have to hold celebrities accountable is really genuine and comes from a good place. And I think some of it is parasocial because people think that they know these celebrities better than they do. Mm-hmm. And like that they have some sense of like ownership or like mutuality that they don't actually have. Right. Um, and so I don't know that that is as effective as people want it to be because like, these celebrities are like, yeah, but who are you? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so I think like it's more meaningful. I mean, I'll say comedians in part because there's so many examples, and also in part because I don't like stand-up comedians very much. So I'll I'll put them on the on the fire. But uh <laughs> uh sorry, stand-up comedians. I'm sure some of you are perfectly lovely. Um <laughs> A few. A a few. few. I'm more of an improv (laughs) comedy person. Improv comedians can do no wrong, but stand-up comedians, ooh. Um, But, like, I don't know. I think it's more effective if stand-up comedians hold each other accountable than if Twitter holds them accountable. And, like, I do think that there is some positives in, like, boycotting and, like, saying why you're boycotting. But I just... I feel like there is a demand for this kind of vulnerability and rawness from celebrities that I don't know that we deserve. And I don't know that we're thinking about the person who was harmed when we demand that stuff, who may not have asked for that. Yeah. They might not want to have this person like do penance on social media because it brings them into the conversation too. Um, so, like, I guess that's one way that, like, I think people's hearts are mostly in the right place. But I also think that there's a real inclination still for punishment. We really want yeah, to punish people. Yeah, we do. And I think that uh, it's better to own that sometimes you're not calling someone out. Someone you're sometimes you're just bullying them. <laughs> and, yeah. like, maybe it's better to just say. Yeah, I'm being petty and I'm bullying this person. I don't care about their growth. I just wanted to talk some shit about them. <laughs> Maybe that's better, actually, that honesty, than to be like, I 
am doing this like for the common good. Right, right. Are yeah. you? <laughs> like- yeah. And it's like, that is human nature. Sometimes people need to let off some steam and be petty and be, you know, but if it's, it's, you know, where we do it, how we frame it, who we do it to, how there are times, I'm shit, I'm not beyond being petty. Oh, I am petty. But, you know, and I'm not saying I'm petty in all the right ways either. But I, 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 I kicked tried. off of Twitter because what of happened? my pettiness. What happened? I got, I got kicked off of Twitter because I impersonated libs of TikTok. <laughs> um, and I didn't say anything mean. I gave a two hour accountability model for how libs of TikTok should take accountability for their behavior and ways in which they could like step move forward and like show that they are acting in good faith. Um, Eventually I took, it took about two hours, but eventually Twitter caught me and threw me off and I haven't been able to log on since. So. Wow. But what a way to get kicked off Twitter. Blaze blaze of glory. Totally. (laughs) Oh my God. That is amazing. Yeah. I don't know how I missed that. How did I miss all that? But yeah, I did. I did get some screenshots. I could send them to you, but um, yeah, I think the tweets are all still there even. So they didn't suspend my account. Um, but they also won't let me log in. Interesting. <laughs> so You're in like a weird timeout. I'm in limbo. a weird limbo. Um, and they claim that they can't confirm that it's my account, despite the fact that I was verified. So they should be able to confirm that it's yeah. me. I don't know. It's all very confusing. I don't know what happened. But at some point I was like, you know what? I I guess I miss having 15,000 followers somewhere, but I don't care that much. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. That's that's amazing. That is absolutely fa- Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, okay. So we, we're talking about community because I love the way like you laid out your work. But can I just have to say, one of the things I love about this book is like, yeah, not the fact that I contributed a little bit here. Little I mean, bit, that's pretty good. One little page, you know, um, <laughs> just letting y'all know. Of course, I want you to go buy it anyway. But like, I love the fact that I think workbook, yes, it's technically a workbook. But workbook is like, when I think of workbook, I think I think of like, all of the people who are like, have chat GPT write you a workbook. And like, you're like, Oh, here's my workbook. And you get this workbook. And it's just like, one little tiny sentence question, and then a book of lines. And there's yeah. no te- there's no, you're not teaching me anything. Like I I did definitely <laughs> go through like do I put lines in this book or not? Because I am not a person who writes in my books. Right. Um. I I have workbooks, but I type everything up on my computer instead. Yeah. But it does make the book look thicker if no, there are lines in there. I love <laughs> so the lines. It's not it. that it's not that I'm like no, anti line. It's I know what I'm, you mean. I'm anti only line and no text teaching me anything. And yeah. like when I when I read through your book, I'm like, this is a book. This is a book. Like there is some just amazing information, amazing things to think about, amazing ways to look at how consent weaves in and out of our lives in so many different situations. And in a way that's validating that like, 
isn't that cookie cutter? Well, just make sure, you know, your fries, your consent is freely given, blah, blah, blah. Oh, enthusiastic. Yes. Okay, cool. You're done. Like, it's not that fucking easy. Um, And I love the way it does that. And, you know, now that we're talking about the celebrities and this, that one of the, the, the sections is talking about community and like how yeah. community, you know, how that rubs off on us the way we see community uh, handling consent or what's sort of the, like the status quo that you why well, everyone, everyone is uh, criticizing this person on the internet. So I'm going to jump in too, because that's what we do as a, you know? Um, yeah. How do you think as a collective, we're even there yet realizing what an impact community has on either making us all better at consent or making us all real fucking biased and toxic? Um, I mean, yes and no. Yeah. <laughs> How's that for a non-answer? Yeah. And I, and I think of like, I think a lot of people when they hear this, they think of like, oh, call out culture like that comes in, you know, or cancel culture and how that factors into consent. So like, where are we? Yeah, I think that um, I'm hopeful that people will begin to use, well, I, I guess I should say, I hope people will take this workbook and use it to better talk to themselves about this stuff. Like, I think that as I've gotten older, the more that I've done this kind of work, the more I've come to the conclusion that the only person we can really control is ourselves. And so this workbook is about, so, okay, if the only person you can really control is yourself, how can you do that in a way that is validating to your feelings, but also is not... I don't know, um, radiating out and mm. impacting other people right. um, in negative and unintended ways. So I think that that's what I'd like to see more of. Mm -hmm. I would like to see more people talking about their understanding of consent and what they want to see. Because, like, honestly... And I'm someone who got involved in the sort of Twitter callouts and stuff. I did that for a while. Uh -huh. um, and I remember when I pulled away from doing that and people would be upset that I wasn't weighing in. And didn't I feel this behavior was wrong? And I was like, well, I mean, I think this behavior was wrong. I don't know if I think that's enough to label them an abuser forever. And I don't know that yelling at them on Twitter is really having any effect. Right. I just see them getting defensive and doubling down and maybe leaving Twitter. And I don't think that means that they've learned anything other than people can't be trusted, which is not yeah. a place that gets people to behave better towards other people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I don't know that that I understand the urge because I also like to bully people online sometimes. Right. Yeah. But I don't know that it's actually an effective strategy most of the time. And so, like, you know, I'm trying to take to heart, like, do no harm, but take no shit a little bit more and being like, okay, what does do no harm really mean to me? Mm -hmm. And for me, that means aggressive good faith. 
having aggressive good faith in other people that they didn't mean to step on my foot, right? <laughs> and like letting them be like, no, you're right. I didn't. That was unintentional. And like being willing to be like, I am going to hold a strong line here. That's not acceptable. Mm -hmm. But also, I know that our society doesn't teach us positive consent values. So, like, how can I be mad at people for not doing a thing that they were never taught to do? Yeah. Yeah. And in a capitalist, like, heteronormative, patriarchal, white supremacist society, we are all taught these extremely toxic things that it is okay and desirable to trample on other people for us to get ahead. And it's even more okay if we call it self-care or if, you know, we're just looking out for ourselves. Like, we're not an asshole. We're just an individualist. You know? Right. <laughs> we're just being self-reliant. Um, and, like, that's very American. Mm. Um and I don't think it's serving us very well. I think that's why a part of why we're seeing our country completely fall apart at the seams. But I can't control that. Right. So what I can control is how I create communities for myself and how I teach other people how to create communities for themselves. And like that maybe it is important to have your community be a little bit smaller so that there is that sense of mutual trust. So people do care about each other and are invested in each other. I think it's really difficult. Like as somebody who's been a public figure for a long time, it is really hard when somebody is yelling at you on Twitter to take a step back and not be defensive and say, yes, they're using very mean words, but there might be a core of truth to what they're saying. Let me take a step back and think about it before I react. Let me be proactive, not reactive. Let me find where the hurt is rather than being distracted by the anger. And I've realized that people who yell at me on social media, um, I, I make it sound like it happens a lot. It doesn't actually happen that often. <laughs> but when when people do that, on some level, they're hoping that they will change me. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there are categories, right? There are people who are like, I think the fact that you're openly fat and queer is disgusting and you should kill yourself. Like, those people exist. And they're not seeking to have me change my behavior. They're seeking to make me feel, well, I mean, I guess they are kind of hoping that they'll get me to change my behavior. They're hoping right. that I will be afraid and intimidated and make myself smaller. Um, but they're also saying it to me because they think that I'll listen to them. If they didn't think I'd listen to them, they wouldn't bother saying it to me. They'd post it on Kiwi Farms, which they also do sometimes. But like, you know, they wouldn't bother. Why bother talking to somebody if they're not going to listen? Like, mm -hmm. you can't hurt someone's feelings if they are ignoring you, like right. genuinely ignoring you. And so I try to remember that, like, now those are extreme examples of people that I don't give credence to. But, like, when someone has their feelings hurt because something I said was very white-centered, it's really important for me to not be like, mm, your tone is off, but to be like, what are you saying underneath that? And like, 
is there something I can learn from this? And how can I do better so that I don't hurt people this way again? Yeah, yeah. You know? and, I, and I think, you know, it's, we're coming back to not only the nuance, but also how power differential comes into play. And, and Absolutely. that's, you know, it's like one, we cannot be the judge and jury and know exactly what everybody's situation is at all times. Like there are clearly some people that are on the end of the spectrum where it's like, you're just being a fucking asshole. I because, mean, and let's be, right. let's be honest. The judge and jury aren't good at that. Exactly. We know exactly. for a fact that the prison industrial complex fucks this up all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, of course, yeah. our social justice version is also going to uh, fuck up all the right, time. Right, exactly. <laughs> and it's like, you know, we can, we can usually clearly, not usually, but more often, clearly see the people who are on the way end of the spectrum of like, you're just a dick. Um, but then people who are on the other end of the spectrum, like your anger is really fucking valid for lots of different reasons. And if I am just concentrating on the way you approach me, the words you use, your tone, like that is not it. Like, I, I think you and I, like, we're pretty perceptive in that way. But are we even? Per- no, of course not. No. Like, so if it's even hard for us sometimes how do we expect it to be or get it to be or whatever a little bit not even just easier for maybe for a lot of people to even know that there's a difference how do we get that out there without having it just like you know twisted all to hell and stripped of all nuance and becoming something completely different well i mean i'm hopeful i'm hopeful this workbook is useful in that regard because um, every prompt, so there's 28 prompts in there, right? So the idea being you could do this in a month. Um, That would be a very intense month. I mean, some of these questions are like, whoa, um, I think anyway. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But I mean, it's like, Uh it's intense therapy every day if you're doing one of these every day um, and really going for it. But You know, I wanted to make sure that even though I wrote most of the book, I didn't want it to just be my voice because my opinions are not the only opinions that are valid and um, I'm wrong all the time. So I asked you, I asked a bunch of other people to like put in their own, what's the word, anecdotes Mm -hmm. um, about that sort of leads up to the question or like. Here is something that I thought about or a story that I have for a time that this question came up for me. And the reason I did that was because like not everybody who has an anecdote in here, they don't all agree with each other. And I think that's important because it shows that there isn't like one true way to do this, right? There's a huge amount of complexity. Cultural understandings are important. Um, History is important. Power differentials are important. Um, You know, how invested you are. Like, is this a hill you want to die on with this person? It might not be. You know, all of those things are important. And so I'm hopeful that by showing that there's such a range of experiences, people will feel more okay with trying things. And maybe getting it wrong, but like being willing to try something different. 
Because right. the, the fact is, we are currently doing, we're doing prison just in a social way, right? Like you commit a crime, a social crime of some kind, or I mean, or a legit crime, and you are judged by a jury of not necessarily your peers, but a bunch of people who've appointed themselves your jury. Uh-huh. And if you are convicted based off of whatever evidence exists, um, then you go to like social jail. And then when you come out, that haunts you forever, just like prison. And we know how messed up that is for felons. We know like there's the idea, the ideal that you go to prison, you serve your time, and then that's it. But we know that's not true. Like that will then impact your ability to adopt a child. It'll impact your ability to get a place to live or to have a job. Um, And that's not ultimately the world I want to live in. I, I am an abolitionist, so I want to get rid of that. So why would I mimic that dynamic? Um, now, at the same time, like, I got to admit, I'm a hypocrite. There are certain people that I'm like, yes, do that. Do that forever. You know? Like, right. And I, that's why I don't appoint myself a judge or a jury, because I'm imperfect and petty. And, like, I have my own biases. And that's not necessarily fair. Like, one of the things that I've been sitting with a lot um, and I feel like this is a book in and of itself, but like, so again, it's pride month, right? And we're dealing with the proud boys claiming that this is going to be like their month of proud boy mayhem or whatever. <sighs> and it's made me think a lot about the fact that when I see not, not the proud boys, I think they're opportunists, but when I see conservatives talking about groomers and drag queens they're wrong i think they're wrong the studies suggest that they are wrong you know the the data that we have suggests that they are wrong but they're coming from a place of irrational fear Uh and telling them a bunch of facts and getting mad at them about that it's not going to work we know this because we've seen all of this happened with QAnon. Right. You know, like it, like they won't learn from this. They'll double down and they'll isolate. And then they'll have less and less other information coming in. So, like, I understand the desire. I really do. And also, I'm like, I'm unsure that the end result of that is going to get us what we want. And I'm afraid what it's going to have instead is increased isolationism until we have a much more dangerous and much more radicalized sect, which is, you know, we've already seen the beginnings of that. Like we've seen these mass shootings and like this entitlement, um, bomb threats, et cetera. Like, so like, I just... I don't know. I mean, I, I, part of me is like, yes, fine. Let them, let them have their own eyelids. Fuck off, you know? Right, right. Um, because they're causing harm. On the other hand, I think there's a lot of people on the fence who 
don't know how to read scientific literature because our education system sucks ass. Um, and everyone they're trying to ask says, educate yourself. Well, thanks you, to how yeah. Google algorithms work, they're just going to get more conservative talk points. So they're not getting more actual information or data. They're getting more bias. And we're abandoning them to that. And I mean, not everybody can hold someone's hand through this. I, I understand that. I mean, God knows I can't for everybody, right? But I'm trying to do it more often and trying to have these conversations more, not because I am a saint, but because I've had more success with that. And then they've stopped bothering me. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it is... Kind of, for me, it is like a survival tactic of like, well, if I pull them aside and have a conversation privately of like, what are you actually afraid of? Or what is, what is the information that you know? Can I help you open your mind a little bit? More often than not, they actually are willing to think about the things that I bring up. And then they stop harassing me on my Facebook wall. And that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and I can't do that every time. I can't do that with everybody. Um, and some people are just hostile. But I don't know. I, I've realized that sometimes I was a little too quick to assume that somebody was speaking in bad faith when they actually maybe didn't phrase something very well or like, didn't have all of the information. Yeah. And didn't have anybody they could trust to ask about it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like, I am still a fiery tempered, like throw bricks through windows queer for <laughs> sure. And in, in my advanced old age of 39, I'm tired. I'm fucking tired. Yeah. Like, I can't fight all the time. I'm just, I'm not angry enough, and my blood pressure is going to give me a heart attack if I keep going. <laughs> so, like, I have to start being more compassionate in order to survive, <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. It's, like, not really for their sake. It's for my sake. Right, um, right. And not from something noble, but just, like, a... I really need to calm down. We need to start a movement, selfish compassion. I think people would go for it. Like, it is perfect for Americans. It's selfish <laughs> compassion. Only for you. Yeah, only for you. <laughs> hey, you know it's almost Father's Day, right? Are you prepared? Well, don't worry, because our friends at Manscaped have your back and you know maybe your dad's hairy back too or your daddy's hairy whatever or, or hairy faces they do hairy faces too check out manscapes brand new beard hedger pro kit for that and you can do it with 20 percent off and free shipping when you use the code sunny s-u-n-n-y at manscaped.com so inside the beard hedger Pro Kit is their signature Beard Hedger Trimmer, Beard Shampoo and Conditioner, Beard Oil, Beard Balm, and two free gifts with their signature Beard Comb and Scissors. And if you're shopping for um, <clears throat> Daddy, 
allow me to recommend the Performance Package 4.0. It includes their signature lawnmower 4.0, a brand new Weed Whacker 2.0 ear and nose hair trimmer, the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold all of Daddy's goodies. Seriously, the Lawnmower 4.0 is a game changer for trimming those sensitive areas. And remember, now you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code SUNNY at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping at M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com and use that code SUNNY. Have you heard of Dipsy? They have all types of oral pleasures to explore. No, oral like your ears, not what you, I know what you were thinking of. No. Well, actually, yeah, they do have that too, if that's what you're into. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. They're stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And Dipsy has stories for everyone, too, including queer listeners and over half are voice acted by people of color. Hear your favorite celebrities, too, in a whole new light with stories voiced by Luke Cook, Sharonis J. Jackson and ER Fightmaster. And you get access to new content every single week with Dipsy. So there's always something new to explore. They have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy stories you can read, too. So let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or heat things up with a special someone. And for listeners of American Sex Podcast, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash sunny, S-U-N-N-Y. That's 30 full days of access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash sunny. That's dipseastories.com slash sunny. We need to start a movement. Selfish compassion. I think people would go for it. Like, it is perfect for Americans. Selfish (laughs) compassion. Only for you. (laughs) Yeah, only for you. I mean, it's just... I've I've been doing a lot of, like, listening to podcasts about, like, various religious um, sects and, like, cults and understanding more and more what draws people to that. And, you know, I've seen certain sections of self-help do extremely similar things um, in ways that I have tried to be very, very careful not to mimic those techniques of like, I have the answer, you know, stop listening to other people, only listen to me. Uh, I'll give you information for more money. Like, I try to avoid those things because... I that creeps me out and I'm an anarchist and I don't I don't I don't want to be the leader. <laughs> I don't want anyone to be the I want everyone to be the leader. I yes. guess is really yeah. Yeah. my understanding. Um but like it also made me realize that a lot of people are just really fucking lonely. 
You know, and like they're really sad and hurt and scared and they don't know what to do with any of that. Um, And so we run away and we run away into communities that make things feel simple. We run away into faiths that tell us that everything that we're suffering is somebody else's fault. We run away to, you know, religious teachers that tell us that God has a plan for us and therefore your suffering is noble or something. Um, We run away to uh, self-help teachers who tell us that, like, you know, they can rescue us from our grief and, like, give us the understanding of grief that we need Uh if we pay them $7,000 a year, (laughs) you know? And it's just, like... Ah, uh, I understand why people do that. Like, uh-huh. I, you know, sometimes I very much wish that I was more of a joiner because God it would be great to be like, awesome, you have the answers for me. I'm just going to do whatever you say. Right. Um, but I'm too much of a brat. So I just really struggle <laughs> to yeah. do that. Yeah. Um, and when someone's like, oh, I want you to be the person who does that for me. I'm like, no, like, I want you to learn how to stand on your own feet how to make your own decisions, how to think critically. I don't want you to parrot the stuff that comes out of my mouth because then you're not thinking about it. Right. Yeah. And to figure out, you know, and I know like one of the things in your book that's a constant theme is like, figure out what the hell you want. What really are your boundaries for you, for your desires, your want? And I think a lot of us more than we realize when we really sit down to like sit with ourselves and tell ourselves this is exactly what I like, don't like boundary, limit, wish, whatever. We're like, "Mm, I don't know. (laughs) Like, we don't know, which that's, you know, the, the, like the, the sitting with yourself and the self-work is, is such a huge part of it that I think so many of us are missing, which I'm thankful for this. Everyone go do your work in your book. But one thing I do want to talk about is, um, I guess this can kind of fall under power differential. I think depending on who you are in this situation, what like if we're talking about, you know, someone who um, isn't open to listening or who is into conspiracy theories may not say the person who, you know, knows more about, I don't know, looking at these things and consent and all that is like, has more power because then that's right there, like a fight. Um, but like, <laughs> I'm thinking more in like one to one relationships and let's just like make it real simple. And let's say it is, uh, I don't know, something like with sex, like we'll, we'll boil it down to like the consent thing that most people know. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe one of, you know, partner a right is like, I don't know. I'm shutting down. I can't even have this consent conversation. I don't even know what I want. I don't even know where to begin. Ah, right. And oftentimes it's like lash out or shut down, right? If you're mm-hmm. in that position. And the other partner, partner B, is like, I've done the workbook. I've done the therapy. I like really am very consent savvy. Like I can help walk you through. And, you know, as long as you're willing, like I can help, like, help walk you through this, help you get to the resources that you need so you can really start thinking about this on your own. And it's like, cool. Like, how often do we find two people that are the exact same, like, knowledge level at anything, right, right? or ability level? Um, 
So how do you weigh that? Let's say you're person B who's like, yeah, okay, I, I, I'm kind of, you know, I've navigated this stuff. Uh, when do I help you along? And when do I go, Jesus, you got to do the work yourself. <laughs> like, like, I can't, I can't do this for both of us. Like, where is yeah. a lot of us are just like, you haven't done the work. Fuck you. And then, uh, you know, on the flip side, it's like, let me help you. Let me help you. Let me. Help. And then it's like, oh, God. Uh, so where's that balance? Like, how do we handle that? I mean, I think that depends a lot on who the other person is. Like, I mean, you know, I, I was saying to you before we started recording, like when I started doing consent culture work, I was like, this is about the BDSM community. And as I was beginning to do like podcasts and stuff this time around for the second book, I was like, oh, God, this is about my relationship with my mother. <laughs> like, yeah, so much of this is about the things that I've learned when I had been going to therapy for 20 years and she had had such negative experiences with therapy that she didn't trust therapists. So she wouldn't get that help. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't go to therapy for her, you know? Yeah. And so I had to figure out like, okay, um, what am I willing to put up with and like be compassionate about? And what is too far for me? Mm -hmm. So I had to think about that. Like, and there were periods of time where I blocked my mom on Facebook for like a year and a half. It was like, nope, if you're going to talk like that, then no, like, I, I just, I can't. That's not acceptable to me. And it was hard to have those really strong, very clear boundaries. Um, but it showed her that I was serious. Right. And I mean, I, I can't say that that would work for everybody. <laughs> you know, like, family dynamics are very complicated. But like, I think that my mom grew to respect me and was like, oh, when Kitty says that's not okay. Like, I know how far it has to have gone for her to get to that point. And I know what the next step is. Um, I had said uh, a few years ago that, like, I had come to a place with my mother. Like, we fought for, like, most of my life. Right. <laughs> and I had come to a place with her where I was like, you know what? I don't have to forgive you I just have to understand you. And I spent a lot of time and work getting to a place where I could understand why she was volatile in the ways that she was volatile and like how I was volatile in ways that were very um, triggering, mm -hmm. like literally triggering for her. And um, yeah, at some point I was like, well, you know what, this is where my consent culture work really hits the pavement. And I started being very vulnerable with her and saying like, I, you know, these are things that I can recognize in my behavior that I want to take ownership of. And the first couple of times, my mom was like, yeah, you are a shitty kid. And I was like, <laughs> I won one. Ow, yeah. <laughs> ow that hurts. Um, but I can recognize that there were ways in which I was a difficult child. So, you know, like, okay. And it did hurt. Like the first couple of times I bared my belly, she stabbed me right in the gut for sure. You know, And I had to say, okay, I know what that feels like. I know how to regulate myself. I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep modeling this because it is worth it to me 
to try to improve our relationship. Right. And maybe maybe it doesn't work. Maybe this is a gamble that doesn't work. And she just keeps stabbing. But I, I want us to be in a better place. And I'm willing to invest in that. And I have enough support that when she stabs me in the gut, I have people I can go to and get the support I need so that I can stay stabilized and like keep moving forward and keep modeling what I want her to see and like want her to do in response to me. And eventually it worked. And I was really surprised. Like we were just talking about something kind of random. And my mom said like, you know, I'm really sorry that I was a shitty mom. And I said, hey, you know what? It's okay. I was a shitty kid. Like, we just were shitty in ways that really didn't work with each other. And I bet I would have been a great kid with a different mom. And you would have been a great mom with a different kid or at a different time. And we just had what we had. Yeah. You know? And, like, I think being willing to be that vulnerable and, like, that, I don't know, that just that raw. Mm-hmm. It made her feel safe doing it back. Yeah. And I realized that I wasn't mad anymore. Like, that was all I needed to hear. All I needed to hear was for her to say just once, I was a shitty mom. And I could be like, okay, great. Like, I'm so glad that you got there in the end, you know, (laughs) like, um, and that she said it. Right. I didn't have to say it for her. I didn't have to make her say anything. It wasn't a deathbed confession. She came there of her own regard. Mm-hmm. And then after that, like, our relationship completely changed. Like, we were able to be so much kinder to each other. Yeah. And... You know, we didn't stab each other in the gut anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And it was amazing being able, like, I never thought that was going to happen. I thought we were going to have tension until she died. Right. Um, But then when she did die, I was like, wow, like, I feel sad about the fact that, like, you were actually my mom for the last four years. Like, we finally manage to find a way to be tender Mm -hmm. with each other yeah um so that is an example of when i was willing to do that work i had the support i had the skills and i had the time and i lived on the other side of the country so if she was acting up too much or if i was acting up too much we hung up yeah exactly Yeah. yeah it was super easy like the boundary was really easy um, I had some negative interactions with my boyfriend of four years when my cat was dying and I gave him the opportunity to back down. He was basically, he was saying that I was murdering my cat because I was putting my sick cat to sleep. Um, and my cat was like bleeding and like clearly unhappy. Right. Um, and he was like, well, why don't you just let your cat outside to like die in a park or get hit by a car like is natural and i was just like absolutely no what the fuck is wrong with you um and he you know accused me of like wanting to control everything and like you know was uh like you're ex the words he used was executing your ward and i was like do you want to walk that back do you want to rethink if that is how 
you want to behave to someone who is grieving and upset. And he doubled down. And I was like, then goodbye. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like then here is a clear boundary. You do not speak to me like that. Is that what you want to keep doing? Yes. Then I'm done. Mm -hmm. And I walked away and I have not regretted it since. You know, like, first of all, that's fucking awful. Uh, yeah, I was, it was. Ugh. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just a ha. But like going back to your, to the example with your mom that you gave. And, you know, I've heard people say that, you know, having firm boundaries, like people feel bad. Like, oh, when I have a boundary and I tell my loved one, like, no, or I put my foot down or they feel like I'm threatening them or I'm making an ultimatum. And then I feel bad, like, because I'm making them feel bad. So then I cave on my boundaries. But, you know, I've heard a lot of people say having boundaries is actually like a gift to that other person. It's an act of love to that other person. A lot of people hear that and they're like, what the fuck? I just, I'm making them feel bad and they don't know why I'm saying no, or I'm putting my foot down or, um, but I think the example with your mom was such a, a beautiful example of that because like, you know, you were clear on your boundaries, you had your boundaries. And also you mentioned that um, like radical kind of good faith on both people's parts, like that working and together. even when she didn't deserve it, or even when I didn't deserve it, we decided to give it to each other anyway. And I think that's how we managed to heal. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think like, You know, I think to myself, not like, I mean, I have better boundaries than I used to. Am I perfect? No. Did I used to have really awful? Yes, I had awful. (laughs) What boundaries? Um, Yeah. I I think to myself, like, if I were in that position at a time where I just, like, had no concept of boundaries, I would not have been able to do what you did. I would not have been able to... Um, you know, have that moment, like there are those moments when you're in those really complex, nuanced, personal struggles with somebody, where like you were saying, like, I can understand why you are reacting the way you're acting, you're thinking the way you're thinking. I don't agree with it. Like I wouldn't, but I understand for with your life and your perspective and your experiences, like I get it still doesn't make it right yeah but i get it you know and like yeah to be able to do that is hard enough to be able to have the humility to be like and maybe i was kind of a fucker too sometimes or to be like guess what i know i'm not being a fucker but i'm not gonna defend myself right now because i gotta give you a little to like make you feel comfortable you know that's like fucking magic Um, and it's, it's a lot. Like, I want everybody to be able to have that and to do that. Well, here's the thing, right? (laughs) Like, I don't believe that love is unconditional. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that love is always conditional. I except maybe for yourself. Maybe you can love yourself unconditionally. But of course, love is conditional for everyone else. Like, Yeah, if someone is mistreating you terribly and it's a pattern of behavior, then you might not love them anymore. And that is okay, you know? Right. Like, I don't, it doesn't mean that your love was fake or that it can't grow back, that trust can't be regained. But like, I, I don't know. I do kind of wonder at this, like, 
well, you know, like, especially this comes up a lot with parents and children Uh that like love should be uh, unconditional. Uh. And I'm like, well, I don't think that's true. Like my mom was deeply, horribly, repeatedly abused by her parents. I would not tell her that she has to love them. Forgive, forgive and forget. Fuck that. They're your parents. Yeah, no, fuck that. And I mean, honestly, I think that. I think that part of the reason why my mom was able to let go of some of her own like traumas and difficulty was because she had a near death experience. It was like, wow, I celebrated when my parents died. I don't want Kitty to celebrate when I die. Maybe I need to chill. And like, whoo, that's, I mean, that's intense yeah. to think about. But God, I'm so grateful that we were able to do, like we were able to move forward. Um, and that, I, I don't know. I mean, the same, the same thing with, like, the idea of ultimatums. Like, sometimes there are ultimatums. Like, and again, I don't think that that's wrong. Because you can only control yourself. Right. So if your partner does something that you are not okay with, repeatedly, especially, I, I, yeah, it's okay for you to say if you are going to keep having unprotected sex with this person, I am going to leave. Right. Yeah, that's an ultimatum and it's true and it's a boundary and it's okay for you to say that if that is, if you're doing it because you are going to follow through. Right. Now, if you're doing it because you're trying to manipulate the situation so you can get a little more power, that gets more complicated. And it's sometimes hard to tell why you're saying the thing. Yeah. So sometimes we think that we're saying it because we mean it and we don't really mean it. Um, So I've tried to be very like upfront with my words. And if I say that I'm going to do something that I have to be willing to follow through on it. Um, I can't be wishy-washy because then people learn that my boundaries aren't real because I'm not willing to hold them up. Like if I if I build a fence and then I kick it down, right. then no one's gonna respect my property line, you know? Like Right. So if I want that fence to mean something, then I think it's important for me to cut a gate into it that I am willing to leave open sometimes, that I'm willing to close but leave unlocked, and sometimes lock it. Because I need to be able to have the safety of having that fence mean something. Uh-huh. Um, and if that property line is respected, which is funny because, like, I don't really respect property per se <laughs> as the anarchist, but I think it's a metaphor people kind of yeah. understand. So if that property line is respected, then I will feel safer being like, sure, I'll leave the door open and your kids can come and run around in my yard. Because I know that they're going to leave my yard nice and like they're not going to never leave. Uh Like, so I feel safer leaving the door open because I know that that respect is there. Right. And I, I think that. I don't know. I mean, I, I've had my own complaints about the whole like good giving and game. Thing. I understand why that was uh, seen as very sex positive and very good and like trying to combat, um, you know, people's fear of trying new things. But you don't have to be good giving in game. 
You don't have to be up for everything your partner wants. Yeah. There's lots of things that I don't want to do. And I don't think it's sex positive to tell me that to be a good partner, I have to like unconditionally do whatever my partner wants. Like that's just really weird. Yeah. And I think I think that we all recognize on some level that that's crazy. <laughs> like if my partner says, "Hey, if you nail my balls to a board, I am going to leave you." And I say, "That's an ultimatum. That's fucked up." <laughs> like everyone would be like, "No, you're crazy." Right. Like, right. So like clearly we understand that these things have limitations. But again, it's that it's almost that meaning creep again. Yeah. Of like in our desire to be up for everything, we stand for nothing. Right. And aren't allowed to have. I mean, I think that's the reason why a lot of people don't know what their boundaries are because they're not allowed to have them. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't even know I could have boundaries till I was well into adulthood. And it's like, you know, I don't I don't know the exact history of like, you know, the birth of good giving and game. But in my mind, I, I'm like, OK, so maybe it was like. To be like, you know, if you're being really just like, no, 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 da, 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 like you're not willing to even consider, but maybe that's like, oh, consider what is like things that you might feel perfectly okay with, like leaving that gate open a little or experimenting. But then that morphed yeah. into like, you got to be up for everything. You got mow down that. Fa-. And it's like, no, like maybe the- <laughs> Orange hanky. Right. Maybe, Orange hanky all the time. Right. Like maybe the intent was like, hey, like, you know, tap into your experimental side maybe a little. Like maybe, but it just turned into like, you have no boundaries now we are so i don't know we're so black and white with things like again there's the lack of the nuance it's like you know somebody comes up and makes a rule or a cute acronym or whatever to help us like lean into that nuance and we lean way past the nuance and go to the other end of the spectrum and it's like no no. yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) i mean i I feel like i feel like it's again, I think it came from a place of like, hey, a lot of people have like Christian trauma right. that tells them that, you know, sex is evil or like queerness is bad. And I think I I want to say it came about in like the 90s or maybe uh-huh. 2000s. So like it was kind of a challenging time for like taking ownership and being proud of like your sexuality. Pride was still kind of new, uh-huh. you know. Um, so. I I understand again I think that it came from a very honest place but wow it very quickly became a cudgel to beat your partners with yeah yeah <laughs> um and its own form of shame where you know we'd shave somebody's head and bang the little bell be like oh how dare you not be good giving in game and it's just like Look, you don't have to be up for everything, right. you know? Like I I don't think anyone is if they're really honest with themselves. And when we push forward those ideas, I don't think that sex positivity, I think that sex is compulsory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is equally harmful. Yeah. Um as you know, the sort of like sex is bad all the time for everybody. I think, again, yeah, you're right. Black or white thinking. It's all or nothing. 
And it's like, no, I, unfortunately, most of the time, it's more confusing. Right. And more muddled. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, I, I remember when I was doing pro-dom work, I had a client who wanted to come out to his wife about being into um, latex. And he was like, right, so my plan is I'm going to wear a full gimp suit and I'm going to come out of the bedroom and surprise her. And I was like, please don't do that. That is terrifying. <laughs> like, yeah. That is a way to make sure that this woman never wants to do this with you ever. <laughs> um, unless she's like that tiny percentage. Right. She's like, ooh, maybe she is. Who knows? Right. But like the higher likelihood that that's going to go poorly for you. Yeah. So like. You can gently let people try something that's maybe not as scary or like maybe like maybe you buy her a sexy pair of latex stockings, you know, or like maybe you, uh, I don't know, get get like a latex sheet or something. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe you play with dental dams. Right. You know, yeah. like that was one of my first entry levels into mm-hmm. into latex is like, oh, dental dams are really fun. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I think that there's ways that you could bring this stuff in that is inviting and encourages curiosity. But if you go all or nothing, you are going to make people dig in their heels and get defensive and be like, oh, hell no. (laughs) Yeah. So like, and I I mean, I think that's true for accountability, just as much as it's true for latex. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, it's universal. It's, it's sex. It's with our parents. It's with our grandparents. It's with people in line at the grocery store. It's like any kind of human interaction is going to have a consent situation. And this stuff all applies, you know, to one degree or another. So um, I love this conversation. I love our conversations in general. They're just always so (laughs) good. And I just want to end this with the one thought I had was, Speaking about all the nuances, you know, we pulled it back to like kink and sex and latex. When Fifty Shades of Grey first came out in, was it 2011 or 10 or something? I knew nothing about it. The first thing I heard was the name. There's this new BDSM book called Fifty Shades of Grey. I assumed the 50, sh- 50 Shades of Grey meant oh, it's so complex and nuanced that we, and I was like, ooh. <laughs> and then I found out what it really was. And I was oh, like, what the how fuck? How disappointing. I was so disappointed. Yeah. Cause I'm like, it really is 50 Shades of Grey, just not like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so missed yeah. opportunity. In a parallel universe somewhere, 50 Shades of Grey is this great trilogy all about the nuances of BDSM and consent and all those gray areas. Well, you know, I I have to I have to give credit to one of the first erotic BDSM stories I ever read when I was 18 years old by Cecilia Tan. Mm. And it was called Telepaths Don't Need Safe Words. And it kind of problematized that idea while also having that as the title. And I thought that was so interesting to think about. You know, in a BDSM world where ideally, like, everyone is safe wording and, like, everybody feels comfortable doing so. Um, but what if what if you could read minds? Like, would you not need a verbal safe word because you could mentally link to somebody? Or, like, what what would be, how would that work? And then it started to make me think about, like, what are nonverbal safe words? And, like... Does everyone safe word when they feel they need to? Or why wouldn't someone safe word? Yeah. 
Why would they hesitate to safe word? And I remember doing um, it early, very early on into consent culture. I did a survey where I asked people if they had not safe worded at a time that they wished later they had, why didn't they? And a lot of people said that they didn't do it either because they wanted to please their partner or because they wanted to seem tough and like a desirable play partner. Uh, and that was true for dominance and submissives. Yeah. That both were like, I want to seem like I'm the coolest shit in the play right. area. So I have to stick it out. And like, I thought a lot about my experiences in play spaces where it was like, the people who got the most play were the people who are the biggest pain sluts or the people who could take the most complicated ties or who were most sexually available or, you know, had the most floggers or whatever, right. you know, and it's like, that's not really why you do this, though. Yeah. And it made me think a lot about, oh, yeah, and then all of the BDSM literature bar a couple at which mostly I think like Cecilia Tan and Patrick Califia were both and and I, Carol Queen, mm -hmm. Leather Daddy and the Femme dealt with this too. But there was often in BDSM literature this rich person who brought a poor person into BDSM. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, oh God, <laughs> like that's human trafficking kind of. Yeah. Like that's really ugh. I don't know if that's something we should be eroticizing so consistently. Like, it's fine if that's one of a bunch of different things. But so often, part of the fantasy was, this person has lots of money. They could spirit me away to a place where they have total control and all of these servants. And I don't have anything. And, like, supposedly I can leave, but, like, I don't actually have, like, financial control or, like, my own phone or anything. So, like, yeah. and I understand why that's sexy to think about. But, like, what are we then teaching people is, like, the ideal, you yeah. know? Like, yeah. No wonder. No wonder this gets so messy so often. Mm -hmm. So, like, I think that, you know, I would like to see more acknowledgement that, first of all, you don't have to be rich. To be kinky. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and that you don't have to be like a specific kind of like thin, white, hot, fit person to be desirable. And that you get to have boundaries. Yeah. And like I will only play with people who are very clear about their boundaries because then I feel like I could trust them right. to actually communicate them. Mm -hmm. um, and I still could be wrong. And even then, I could still be wrong. Yeah. So I have to stay humble. And I guess that's kind of what the workbook is all about, ultimately, is like, be humble. Be fucking humble. You're going to fuck up. Like, learn how to do that with grace and be able to center your, like, how you impact other people. Mm -hmm. Be able to center those other people and, like, sit on your feelings a bit. Yeah. And, like... Acknowledge that it's not always time for you to center yourself and that you are the person who needs to, like, focus on how you feel. That, yes, we are all interrelated. No person's an island. I do think people can influence how each other feels for positive and for negative. Mm -hmm. But 
at the end of the day, like the only person whose behavior you can control is your own. Yeah. yeah. And how you decide to interact with people or not interact with people based on that. Yes. So hopefully this workbook will help you figure out what kind of fences you want to build, how you want to talk about that with other people. And like, I even built into the book, like where you start in the book with your understanding of consent. Mm -hmm. I hope that you change your mind a little bit by the end of the book. Like, I hope that you can see even within these 28 prompts that your understanding of consent has become more complex or more complicated or more nuanced through doing this workbook. Yes. Because I think that when you can see that like, oh yeah, I did think this and now I think this, just within this short span, it makes you realize that it's okay to do that in the rest of the world. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, I love this book. Uh, and you and I will I have, love you too yeah, I will have in the show notes for everybody like where to get the book all your social medias all the things but is there anything before we go that you want to like call out special that's pertinent or you know any certain booksellers or certain websites or events or anything um actually I did uh two podcasts with a smaller podcast called touchy subjects um I think it's touchy subjects pod mm-hmm. But they talk. They talk about um, domestic violence, and uh, they did two sessions with me. They're an amazing small podcast. I would love to have more people listen to them. Mm-hmm. I think that they're doing really interesting work, and they were really keen to have conversations about like nuance and like social justice related stuff. So, like, I want to give them a shout out because yeah. they're. They're kind of small, and I think they should be a lot bigger. And I will make sure I get the links from you, and I will put the links to those episodes in the show notes as well. So, yay. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. (laughs) I know you'll be back before too long. So I will will see you (laughs) next time. Until next time. Until next time. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to American Sex. What's that? You want more? Well, you can start by streaming our TV show on Showtime, Sex with Sunny Megatron. Then pop on over to SunnyMegatron.com. Everything's there. You can get updates on my new book, check out my sex ed and BDSM workshops, learn how to book me for your organization or for coaching. You know, we also want to hang out with you too, right? So come join our Discord community. Or follow along on TikTok or Instagram, Twitter, all the social media. I'm Sunny Megatron everywhere. And you can catch Ken on Twitter or tune in to his weekly D&D games on Twitch. If you want to support the show, a great way to do that is simply to tell people about it. Make a TikTok or tweet about your favorite part of this episode. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review too. And if you're a ride or die American fucker, you're going to want to join our Patreon community. We'll send you official American Fucker stickers, and you'll get a lot more too at patreon.com slash American Sex. Now, just in case you happen to be one of the few that still has disposable income in this late stage capitalist hellscape, well, when you're shopping for a new sex toy, BDSM gear, Kink Academy membership, or other things, please patronize our sponsors and affiliates. You'll get a discount and it helps us too. Win-win. All those links and codes are in our show notes. Thanks, American fuckers. We appreciate the heck out of you. See you next time.